You're listening to Season 2 of I'll Meet You in the Lobby with host Jacinta Feeling. Simon McGrath is the Chief Operating Officer for Accor Pacific, responsible for over 385 hotels, 53,000 rooms and 21,000 employees in the region. Simon has had an extensive and highly respected career, having worked in executive management positions throughout Asia Pacific. He has played a major advocacy role in advancing Indigenous employment in both hospitality and other sectors, and also championed and taken a lead role to greatly improve gender diversity in the tourism sector. Simon has been recognised for his contribution to the hospitality industry with numerous awards, including the Queen's Birthday Honours List as a member of the Order of Australia in 2019, with Simon chosen for his significant work in promoting Australian tourism on the world stage. Social Diary is warmly regarded as the PR Bible by thousands of publicists, brand managers and media across Australia and New Zealand. Established 15 years ago, Social Diary members receive a daily newsletter packed full of media movements, editorial opportunities, celebrity and influencer contacts and much more. Social Diary would love to offer a free Corona Survival one-month membership to anyone in the travel industry who is doing it tough and needs to stay connected to everyone during this difficult time. Email info at socialdiary.com.au for a lifeline. We're all in this together. Welcome to I'll Meet You in the Lobby, Simon McGrath. Let's start by giving our listeners an insight into Simon McGrath. Where did it all begin for you? Look, it all began in, in Sydney. You know, I was born in Sydney and went to school in Sydney. And um, I'd worked in my teenage years in pubs, um, just um, pouring beers and, and cleaning them and so on and so forth through, through family. And then when I left school, um, I targeted um, hospitality. Well, in fact, I didn't. My dad thought that it would be a good industry for me to sort of focus on and, and, and he helped sort of steer me in the right direction and uh, applied at the time to, you know, the five-star hotels in Sydney and was fortunate enough to get a job at the Boulevard in Sydney. And um, uh, But that job, whilst it's a beautiful big hotel, um, I started in the laundry and, uh, and I remember working with a New Zealander and a boxer there was the three of us and we'd sort linen for these for the housekeepers and deliver linen to the housekeepers and to this day it was uh, one of the best experiences and and it's where I learned you know a lot of a lot of how a hotel worked and there was the obvious how a hotel works but then there was the whole ecosystem of that social life and how departments work together it was really interesting so okay. that was the start so that's where it all started and now can you tell us a little bit about your career journey after that yeah, look, uh, whilst I was, at, at, I was young, very young, I was 16 and a half, 17, and uh, when I first started, so um, I did um, a period of time in the laundry and then there was the cellar next door and um, I'd watched this fellow in the cellar, he sort of delivered all the beautiful wines and liqueurs and spirits and everything to all the, the beautiful restaurants in the hotel and so I was pretty keen to sort of after six, nine months, sort of I was trying to get my way out of the laundry and um and so i started uh, one day he left and they asked you know who's been in, you know who would like to take on the role and i put my hand up because I'd, I'd already done a fair bit of work there mm-hmm. so i moved into the cellar and then from there i got a trainee management uh, uh offer with that company which was southern pacific hotels at the time and how old were you then i was 17 half 18 17, and right. um okay. and uh, there were seven of us that were put together to do this uh trainee management sort of cadetship and and um and the others were all university graduates and I wasn't, but and they were 
they were really old. They were like 22. I thought, my <laughs> God, these people are old. And so the seven of us worked together to then, uh, and we were all in different departments, and, and we were sort of that next generation of leaders coming through. And um, and uh, over the next two years, I, I conducted that traineeship. And then at the end of that, I got transferred to Gold Coast International, which was a brand new hotel. It was a 294-room hotel. It was opened by uh, Daikyo, which was a Japanese investment company, and mm-hmm. went to the and went to open that, which was first time out of Sydney, first time in a new hotel, um, and it was amazing. Living on the Gold Coast was at you know was 19 say, years great, of age. Great yeah. place to start. Well, it was a great yeah. place to live, but it was mm. crazy for a 19-year-old. It was yeah. I think it was silly, but um, <laughs> so I had a lot of fun there, and yeah. and so it was great. So then did. Um, I did Gold Coast International in that hotel. I was there for two years or so and worked through various departments. I was uh, in a night manager and then I was in banquets and then I ran that. I was assistant manager of the nightclub, mm. which again was completely irresponsible <laughs> for a 19-year-old, but it was good fun. And then, um, and then I, uh, and then from there I uh, returned back to Sydney right. with Southern Pacific Hotel Group. So I'd, I was with some Southern Pacific Hotel Group for about uh, 10 years. Right. Um, I worked through various hotels and finished with them at Ayers Rock. They had a relationship with Ayers Rock that they had signed and, and I went out to Ayers Rock. Uh, at that stage I was sort of 26 and I became a general manager. That was my first general management posting was living at Ayers Rock for two, two and a half years, wow. which again was great. And then after that I sort of moved offshore um, and went to Malaysia um, and uh, worked in uh, Kuala Lumpur and Penang, which was a great experience. And, uh, I remember standing there, 27, 28, and we'd had our first child by then, and, and I stood there thinking, God, I'm in Asia, I, you know, this is fantastic. And it was, it was exactly that, the relationships and the cultures and so on were terrific, so I, I, uh, I enjoyed that. And then I came back uh, to join uh, Ridges Hotel Group okay, um, right. and, um, and spent some time with Ridges. Mm-hmm. I'd also spent two or three years at Hamilton Island, mm-hmm. um, operating Hamilton Island, so was, I really enjoyed the large integrated resorts after being at, at, at Ayers Rock, uh, which again is, is like running a small town as much as a yeah. hotel, and then going to uh, Hamilton Island was, was great. There was a great team, executive team there. And then I spent you know, seven or eight years with, with Ridges Hotels um, and went, went back to Thailand with them. We had a joint venture of building a few hotels in Thailand, which was good. Lived in Phuket, um, which was a great place to live, lots of fun. And then, um, and then after my time with Ridges, I, I joined a core. You know, I was uh, I was doing a development role in Ridges, and then um, came back to a core. And I've been with a core now uh, for 15 years, and and just love it. So it's been a great, great, great path. Simon, can you share with us um, what your uh, job entails on a day to day basis? Mm. Oh, look, my job has a great variety, um, which which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Number one responsibility is is, is for our team members, um, and so I spend a lot of time uh, working with our team members, making sure that the social framework for which they can do their jobs is, is appropriate, and mm-hmm. and and gives them a sense of purpose and that they can have a workplace that's pretty special. Um, so that's number one. Number two then is an obsession around customer. So I have to be in that space and not just talk about it, I need to be in it physically on a day-to-day basis and, and, and fortunately I enjoy it. I think anyone in tourism and hospitality, your best moments in any given day, no matter how large or small or, or diverse your role is, is, is when you're dealing with customers. Mm. Um, so I enjoy that um, and I, we spend a lot of time 
understanding the service products that we have and what we can develop and making sure that we're innovating and staying ahead. Um, and then, you know, once those two key pillars are, are established, then, then my mind would turn to making sure that we've got the right uh, revenue streams, make sure they've got the right sales and marketing, our products look good, um, and our loyalty platform is strong to underpin the performance and also ensure that we have a degree of success yeah. within the business and allow us to grow. Um, obviously, our growth comes from performance, so, you know, to make sure that you... I always say it's very hard to help people when you're poor. So it's okay being, you know, focused on a strong, you know, bottom line and, and performance because from that comes investment and so many other things that, it, that make it really worthwhile. Mm. Um, and then then, can, then I work in development, um, growing the business and, and working with our incredible development team. Uh, and they, um, they do a great job bringing the brands to Australia and growing the current brands and making sure that the deals that we do for growth are appropriate and they underpin the long-term future. Um, and then there's a range of matters related to finance and, and, and everything that you would expect there. There's governance of the company. Um, and then, you know, I've also got to make sure that our relationships uh, that underpin the success, external relationships and partners, is that we're prominent and that we, uh, you know, make sure that we deliver to those partners and we're not selfish in those relationships that we give and uh, make sure anyone who partners with the core gets a great benefit out of that. Sounds like you're filling your day pretty pretty yeah, well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, what have you what what have been your career highlights? Um, my career highlights. Look, there's been many. I've, I've rarely ever had a bad day, so um, it's been one filled with joy, to be honest. So uh, when I talk to career highlights, it's probably around people. It's been there'd be when it comes to people, it's about the individual little moments that have happened and it may be to help someone that is in a bit of trouble um, and, uh, and and be there for them and with the company's strength and, and, and ability to be able to help someone where they couldn't otherwise get help. So that's probably, there's be a lot of that, a lot of that in the business and we're really proud of that and that, that makes, you know, it's very satisfying. I think then uh, the other highlights are doing things really well. You know, we'd really like to not just do things, we'd like to do great things. So the ability, to, you know, whether it's our partnerships or, or importantly, um, it's the, the growth um, and, and, and announcing that growth. You know, we've had a couple of acquisitions in the business which have been really important to stimulating our growth, whether it's the Mervac transaction or the Mantra transaction. Both of those have been really um, satisfying. And the reason for that is I see the look on people's faces when they see that growth. Our team members at every level, um, whether they're working in, in any hotel in the region, when they see the company growing, they're proud. You know, you can you get a sense that they go home that night and talk to their families about how proud they are of the company, um, and that's that's certainly very satisfying. Um, and then watching people grow, our team members grow. You know, we've had, had a number of the executives and team members get recognised externally. Um, and watching them and, and that the, the rewards that they get from that and, and their career. Um, and they're probably the key highlights. I mean, it's there's many individual little highlights and I could be here for hours, but it's um, they're probably the key issues. Simon, what has been the biggest lesson you have learnt during your career so far? I think the biggest lesson I've learnt is probably not... In, it's in, certainly in leadership. It's don't manage the team as one. Um, create one team by all means but those leaders are all quite individual and um, 
and make sure you know you put them in the in a, in a really positive space as often as possible. But the way in which you'll do that will be different to each person. So, you know, when you're younger and coming through your career, you sort of manage the whole team in the same way, and uh, you know it might be, it might be a nice culture. It might be you know fairly clear to everybody, but the reality is those team members are individuals, and 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 that's why you'll often. You know, if you're managing in, in one manner to a whole team, um, you'll largely probably you'll probably appeal to sixty percent, sixty to seventy percent, um, but it's that last thirty percent that will give you that little bit extra. And I think as I've moved on in my career, I've created one team, but uh, a team of individuals. So I watch them individually and uh, want to make sure they're in a really positive space. And the way in which they get in that positive space is different to each of them. Yeah, that'd be very satisfying too to see that. A core live limitless uh, is core's new loyalty concept. Can you explain why uh, it is a, it's a new concept to the industry? Yeah, look, I think it's the continuing involvement of loyalty. I mean, uh, as we know, in our particular market throughout Australia and New Zealand, we're obsessed by loyalty. We've got loyalty cards for everything. So it's particularly relevant to this market. And uh, a core live limitless is about broadening that offer. Uh, it's certainly moving it from a very transactional points-based loyalty program, which is the fundamental and principle of, of the loyalty program, uh, but it's moving it into that emotional connection. And ultimately, when you want to come in, when you come into one of our hotels, you'll be recognised as a loyalty member, and and you'll be thanked. And uh, and and that's what it, it broadens into. That it also allows us to add some of our great adjacency businesses of food and beverage and and other such businesses and our partners to it. And it becomes a lifestyle instead of it being a, on a on a on a room transactional basis. And that's you know as the industry's moved forward and, and evolved, and as we've you know with our scale, we can bring partners in, and, and and the adjacency businesses are so important. It was important to capture that emotionally and, and be able to describe that for our for our customers and so to do that through a core live limitless is um is a great way to describe it and we've had some some great feedback on it. it's very clear for our customers and and uh it uh, gives them a, a sense of belonging and ultimately that's that's what we're trying to appeal to people crave belonging and and in a world where there's so much uncertainty i think if you can get that in uh, the beautiful tourism and hospitality industry it's um it, it serves its purpose can you expand on what Planet 21 program, the Accor Community Fund and the Inclusion and Diversity Initiatives are? Yeah, look, they're really important initiatives and, and, and why are they? I think in, in today's world, a sense of purpose um, and a balance to, to an economic output is really important for companies. Um, thankfully, with French heritage, you know, we've always had a very strong uh, responsibility to environment and, uh, and our community. and. And, you know, I personally believe if we're going to be the, a major player in Australian tourism, then we want to contribute to the, the communities in which we work. And the fundamental of tourism and hospitality is for every pub and for every hotel in every city, you know, they were meeting places historically. They were places where people could seek refuge and shelter um, going back thousands of years. So it would be logical within tourism and hospitality that we, we take that stance. And, and as I've said before, we want to do great things. We don't just want to do things that, that are beige. So in terms of greatness, uh, Planet 21 is our environmental bent. It, uh, it allows us to contribute. It gives us a, a language and a, and a character around uh, our environmental contribution and make sure that our footprint is as soft as we can make our footprint. And um, 
and that our employees can participate, as, as can our guests. So it's a, it ranges from right around the whole, whole aspect of, of environmental tourism. Um, then when you look at the community fund, the community fund is, is, was, came together because it was such a giving organisation through our employees. We wanted to give them a, a fairly narrow space for which we can make a great contribution. And we did that through the core community fund, which its fundamental principle is building healthy families. And we believe in, in, in whatever form a family is, to have a family around you in today's world is going to be helpful. It's going to um, allow you a bit of scope and it'll catch you when you need to be caught. So in terms of that, we, we contribute to four partners within that and, uh, they, and we balance that from from mental health to, to um, cancer research to Indigenous and, and then youth. So it gives a nice broad spectrum for which our employees can contribute. And, um, and, and we, we're very specific. And, and look, when we, I always say it's very hard to get into a core, but it's also very hard to get out of a core. We, uh, those partners have been with us a long time. We sit with them annually and we work out what we can do in terms of specificity um, so we have real impact and, and so on. So, And then diversity is so important to us. I mean, I think, you know, as you have children that start to enter the workplace, it starts to hit you smack in the face. You know, you want them to come into a workplace where they're not uh, judged for anything but their talent and their values and, and you want them to have every opportunity and, and to see unconscious bias, to see intended biases is appalling and, and we don't want that in our community. So, again, as a leader of 21,000 people and, and a business uh, that it plays a leadership role, um, we think that, firstly, to get the best performance out of our team members, we need to provide that safe environment. And then, secondly, we, th- we see as a leader that we should contribute to a wider community discussion on, and we should make a stance and we should pr- provide some best practice. We, we're, we're fortunate and so very lucky we've got the platform that we have and in some ways we can show best practice and then unpack that for other people and deliver on that. So, you know, we're, certain, we're deeply involved in, in our Indigenous uh, uh, tourism and, and certainly in employment, and we're very specific about that. We've been involved in that for 17 years and, and we're happy to graze our knees, and, and, uh, and, but we've, we've certainly give it a red-hot go and we've done some amazing things recently with some yarning circles and we've got some 800 uh, Indigenous employees that we're very proud of and, and Indigenous leaders. So we think that's very important for Australian tourism uh, to, to use our Indigenous voice to describe our beautiful country and our landscape and so on. So that's a natural fit for us. And then in terms of gender uh, and race, uh, so critically important. Um, at the end of the day, there's unconscious bias in all of us and, and in our society. And so, you know, you can't just wish for this. You actually have to take some action and, um, and watch and, and train and develop and, and coach and, and hopefully create such a safe place. It's a wonderful initiative, Sarah, isn't it? Really terrific. Enjoy a fabulous day in Australia's best luxury hotel, Sofitel Sydney, Darling Harbour. Step into a world of sophistication, blending French art de vivre and local culture. Enjoy breathtaking views of the harbour and skyline, lays the day away by our infinity pool, or indulge yourself at the Champagne Bar. Live the French way in Sydney. Can you elaborate on a cause development in recent years and the addition of so many new and exciting brands at the moment. What is, what's in the pipeline for a core and are there any new hotels on the horizon? The one thing you start to appreciate working for a core is there's always new hotels on the horizon and that horizon has a very short window. Um, you know, we're obsessed 
by development and growth. And, and it's important to understand why. Well, firstly, uh, customers expect us to be delivering product to them that's innovative and current and, and provides them with effectively a curated platform whereby they, they, can, do one, they can shop with a core and buy uh, their experiences with a core and they, they don't need to look elsewhere. And, that, and that's the, the reason for the density, size and scale that's so important. The other part to, to our growth that, that really uh, makes you feel great about it is the, what it does for our employees. It gives them career opportunities and it does give them security and safety in a world where it's very hard to find that in employment. So um, I think both the, the, the stream of development is, is so critical for both that. Uh, the breadth of brands that we have, we have currently about 38 brands um, and they range from luxury to lifestyle to mid-scale to, to economy. So it's nice that we've got the whole breadth in the market for our consumers. Not one consumer uses one brand or one, one level. You know, we find people will stay in a hotel in a luxury sense but then use one of our great vibrant economy products as well. Can you run through some of the brands that you um, that, that Accor have at the moment? Because some people probably wouldn't yeah. be aware of yeah. some of the, the new ones that have come yeah. on board yeah. and uh, and some of the ones overseas that you have too sure. that, that aren't here in Australia. But sure. um, we'd love to hear okay. about them. Okay, you need to bear with me for a moment. Okay. So <laughs> in, uh, in the economy sector, obviously, we've got the Ibis brand, which leads the way and is, is strong and prominent. Uh, mid-scale, we've got the Mercure uh, and, and Novotel brands, which are again, very, very strong. Um, in the apartment sector, you know, we've got Peppers, we've got Siebel, um, you've got Mantra, um, and, and again, very strong domestic brands. At an international level, we've got the luxury end of the market as well, in that we've got, you know, Pullman, we've got Sofitel, we have So, we have Fairmont, we have Raffles, we have Bunyan Tree, um, and, and so many brands. We have Swiss Hotel, we have Mondrian, um, there's a range of lifestyle hotels that we have that we've, particularly in the last, you know, three to five years where it's 25-hour Mama Shelter um, uh, and those great brands. So uh, it's a whole range. We've also got a fantastic brand that's that's evolving, which is Tribe, which was a brand that we purchased here and has evolved from Australia and we're delivering that to the world as well. So there's some great brands within all of that and, and, and many more, but uh, that gives you a flavour of the, the breadth and strength of those brands. Very impressive, very impressive. Um, Simon, you initiated Heartist, uh, a cause internal HR talent culture program for employees. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that program? Yep. Yeah, I can. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll check you on that. It's not a HR program. It's, uh, and I understand the, 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 the link, it's whole of company. Right. And, and that's the, and I, I make that point for the reason that it's a really good learning in that um, if it's our obsession around customer, the obsession around customer is not the responsibility of marketing or HR, it's whole of company and it comes from the office, or the chief operating officer. And that's why it was so important to take that stand and, and is so critical. So it's, uh, we developed, uh, we largely uh, were doing very well at the time, it was about five or six years ago. And our market share was good, our growth was great, but there was something missing. And, and, and what was missing was, you know, we, we had a lot of customers coming into our hotels, free breakfast offers and free Wi-Fi and so on. I wanted them to come into our hotels because they would really wanted to be there, that they found something nourishing and, and beneficial to their stay that they couldn't get elsewhere. So we developed, uh, at the time it was Peopleology, which was the heart of, of human connection. 
and um, and that we we developed it, but it was very disciplined. It was uh, we trained every employee in it, and today we sit here um, and there's an induction for our induction that takes place. No one is allowed on the floor of our hotels to service a, a guest without doing that induction, and then there's a whole range of training that goes on from that. And I think. As with anything that's beautiful, there's a really dark side to it. And the dark side is the discipline around this. We're brutal with the discipline because it's about respect. It's about respect for each other and it's about respect for our, for our customers. And, and that, that peopleology at the time, I think we had an NPS ranking of around 22. Um, and uh, we finished after 18 months with an NPS across some 200 hotels at 40. So it was quite substantial in terms of its, its, its impact and we measured it and we tracked it. Um, and we've gone on to Peopleology Mark II and then we've developed, we rolled that into Hardest, which Paris said, uh, I didn't really ever really want to talk about it. I just wanted to do great service. And, and I was always very careful about stating that you do it without actually the fundamentals. So for the first two or three years, I wouldn't let anyone talk about it, promote it. Um, and we're still fairly careful about that. You know, I'm, I feel nervous talking about it and, and we want to make sure that we're doing it on a daily basis. But over a period of time, um, our corporate office in Paris started to become a little bit more aware of peopleology and the work that the team were doing here. And, um, and uh, whilst I reluctantly um, stood at the gate and, and watched that, um, finally um, it was uh, taken up and it, it has been rolled out. Those sort of things, you know, you, you want to be very genuine and, um, and uh, you, you know, we're always very careful in a core. You know, we never think... I think one of the most beautiful things about Accor is we never think we're, we're good enough. We always want to do more and we want to do things better. And it's an insatiable passion around excellence that, um, that drives us. And so um, with that in mind, we, were, you know, we always wanted to make sure that we delivered a customer service uh, program and, 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 and philosophy that was, was, was really touching. And I can say safely today that, that that's the case. How do you see the company changing over the next few years and how do you see yourself creating that change? Yeah, I think, um, well, firstly, we're never happy. <laughs> and uh, we're in fear of, you know, not going fast enough, not being good enough and, and so on. So um, I think there's a natural, uh, certainly within the leadership team and, the, and our, our team members, there's a natural interest in, in doing better. Um, we never believe our own press. Um, and so what's going to happen in the next few years? I mean, it's, it's very hard to predict. I think, I think you're going to have increased intensity and loyalty. You're going to be called out a lot more in terms of service and, and your offering. I think you're going to have to, in all businesses as we see today, you're going to have to be very genuine, very authentic and incredibly transparent. Um, and to do that, you're going to need really good people. You're going to need some pretty special people to deliver on that. And you're going to need to deliver on a, across 21,000 people. You know, uh, uh, receptionists in the Sofitel here today are, are outstanding, and but you know they will need to be outstanding on an ongoing basis because when you're managing people and when you're you know, engaging with customers, we're trusting them. You know, we can't be with them every minute of every day. We need to trust them with a set of values and an ability for which they can go and do their job. And and uh, that, that's I think that's going to be that what's the key in the next certainly three to five years is that authenticity. Um, in terms of innovation, uh, it'll need to be around uh, digital and it will be around our brands. Um, and then the one final key element will be food and beverage, which we've been very deep, we've been deeply involved in for the last five years particularly and taken a leadership stance there. And I think those, those three areas will be the area of, 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 of uh, innovation. 
And then finally, I think, you know, responding to the world's events, which we're seeing blatantly at the moment, um, the ability to cope, the ability to be positive, the ability to, to grow in all sorts of circumstances is going to be very important. And the ability to, to use the strength of a platform to respond, you know, we're currently rolling out some really clever stuff, um, you know, as a result of the first two months of this year, which have been devastating. Um, we're probably rolling out some smarter stuff than we ever would have. And that creates that innovation. So uh, those sort of times, are, 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 in, a, in a strange way, I get excited about because I know that we're going to be doing some special things. So sometimes when uh, the markets are growing naturally, um, it's you know, less innovation because you get a bit comfortable. Simon, in your opinion, where do you think the tourism industry could improve and what country or destination do you think is um, doing it really well at the moment? I think the tourism industry could improve in this region a little bit more about respecting itself, funnily enough. I think um, you've seen on a macro level worldwide tourism move from a tier two sector to a tier one sector. And a tier one sector is one that can stimulate the economy, that gets all of government interest and has a real impact in terms of employment. And um, and I think I've seen that shift over the last five years. Um, I think as an industry, I think we need to, as leaders of that industry and participants in that industry, contribute to that industry. And and I think sometimes, you know, we get great benefit out of, out of it, the industry getting stronger. But I think in terms of the framework and, and setting it up for the future is really important. What does that look like? It looks like a really strong um, contribution to government um, and the, the messages that we prepare there, a strong communication to other industries and, and leadership position for other industries. Other industries do look to tourism in terms of diversity and employment and, and, and training um, and customer service. So I think understanding that, respecting it. And I think another really important area is the education. Uh, the education and development of um, students coming out of high school into this sector and the messaging around that um, is is it's slightly dated currently. Um, there's many great roles for, for lawyers, property economics, you know, teachers, whole range of, of skills in, in tourism, and it's largely um, got a, a sort of singular focus on, on, on service, um, and it can be broader than that. So I think respecting itself as an industry sector and the players within the industry sector, um, not just coming along for the ride, but making it a better sector for the future. If you weren't the Chief Operating Officer of Accor Pacific, what would Simon McGrath be doing? I thought when I was younger I'd be a physio because um, I really liked sport and so on and so forth. Um, and then at one stage there was landscape gardening, um, but they passed very quickly. If I wasn't in tourism and hospitality, I don't know what I'd do. I've never, never thought about it. I just, it's so enjoyable and it's been such a great ride that um, I, um, I'd like to hope that I would have made so much money that I'd be retired, <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. What other business leaders do you look up to um, that have been influential in your career? Yeah, it's interesting. There's not one particular person. Um, there's a, a range of people um, that have, have been very inspirational. Um, I, I've worked with uh, my boss, Michael Eisenberg, for the last 15 years, um, and uh, he's got an incredible sense of people. Um, he approaches it in a very natural way, that, but delivers such impact. And, um, and again, his ability to, 
to think at a macro level but understand the team and the team on an individual basis quite special and I think you know for anyone in tourism and hospitality to, to watch what Michael has done is is quite remarkable um, but it's not something you can you can script or you can you know some leaders you can get their 10-point plan and you can understand it with Michael it's a it's a it's quite unique and I think that's largely because he's so true to himself he's incredibly honest and decent and and very true to himself um, I don't read a lot of management books um, but I was I got given a a book from Sarah Derry, um, which is uh, Robert Iger, um, a great writer, I think it is. Uh, he led Disney um, and was involved in that organisation. He led it for 15 years but was involved in the many morphings of that company. And I really was touched by it. Um, and as I said, I'm not often, you know, I, I sort of tend to, re- if I read a management book that someone's given me, I, I'm two paragraphs in or two two chapters in and I put it down. So... Um, so, but that was it's quite inspirational, and again, I think largely because of an incredible set of values, dealing with complex and, and major issues, but thinking in the detail. Um, and then it's probably you know I've learnt some of the best stuff from the worst people. So um, it's a whole range of you know I'm obsessed about watching how people do things, and I'm obsessed about asking questions. So you know between those two sort of interests, it, it largely gets you some interesting um, perspectives. What are the habits that make you successful? Um, well, probably number one is um, always worried about not being successful. So <laughs> I, I never see myself as, as successful. I, I enjoy what I do. I like doing it. Um, so I never, I'm never comfortable. Um, I have a, some weird things that I tell my children every day and they laugh at me, but I'm, I hopefully it gets in as they enter the workplace. Number one is you, know, you win the morning, you win the day. I believe in getting up really early. It's the only time of the day where people don't need you. And, you know, train and, and do something for myself. Um, but then, you know, once 7 o'clock comes, you've got to be there for others for the rest of the day. And uh, But it's okay to make yourself healthy and strong, whether it's mentally or with purpose and, and so on, or physically. Um, but then once, as I said, once you've done that, you've then got to deliver for, on it for others, whether that be family, friends, or, or, or certainly in the workplace. Um, and then I tell my kids... Again, three things. Uh, if they want to be successful, if they keep repeating these three, three things. I think they'll—I have no doubt—they'll they'll do very well. Uh, number one is ask questions. Um, never stop asking questions. You learn a lot, and you show interest in others. Um, secondly, give 110 uh, percent. There's no shortcut to success. You just got to work harder than everyone else and know more than everyone else. If you don't want to do that, don't take up a leadership role. Um, and the third thing is make people smile. I don't care whether you're going into the toughest meeting, whether you're doing a disciplinary meeting, you can still sit down and welcome someone, thank them. Um, you can deal with the issue, um, which may be pretty aggressive or, or a tough issue, but you can thank them on departure. And I think if you can make people smile, it's incredibly disarming at every level. And it's not just for the, the highlight moments, making people smile when things are really tough, I think uh, is critical. It just opens up that connection and you have a much, much better chance of being heard if you've, if you've been pretty decent to someone and, um, and made it a little bit softer. So they're the sort of weird things that my children will tell you I talk to them about all the time. And, uh, but I, I, I think it is that simple. Yeah, some good points there, that's for sure. Um, what has been the hardest decision you've ever had to make? The hardest decision is always letting someone go. That's, uh, I hate doing it. Um, I try and make sure that we communicate. Well, I always make sure we communicate honestly. Um, I never do it well. Um, 
but I don't ever want to do it well. I don't want to become good at it. Um, but I do understand the responsibility to building a strong organisation, and the company will always come first. It'll come before me. It'll become. It'll come before any any executive um, or team member. Um, and constantly making sure that the company that protects so many is strong um, and, and has great values um, and performs. You know, it's, um, I've worked with, you know, the hardest times are when, you know, there's a wonderful person, but the, the performance is not to the level that it needs to be because the company's grown or we've moved in a different direction. And to let that person go is, is, is tough. But uh, once again, I, again, I think, you know, you can tell a great company by the way it farewells people, not by the way it welcomes them. We spend a lot of time carefully uh, setting up someone's next venture. Um, we support them, um, but we, you know, I have to make those decisions to make sure that the company keeps uh, its strength and success. So, but I don't like it, but uh, I understand the responsibility. What is one thing people would be surprised to know about you? It's probably quite a few things, but I'll, I'll probably I've got nine kids. I've got nine beautiful children. Nine. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. They're, um, five and four that came together about 10 years ago and we all live together um, and um, they all live at home my old the oldest left she's 24 and she left a year ago uh, she moved a kilometer away and broke my heart so <laughs> but uh, she's home every Sunday night for uh, we have a Sunday night roast uh, every week and they're all there and with girlfriends and boyfriends so we've got a daughter who's 24 and then we've got a, uh, our youngest is a is a daughter who's uh, 14, and then we've got seven boys in between. Um, and uh, yeah, they're beautiful. So it's a great house and, and we love it. And uh, Jules pulls that all together beautifully and does an amazing job. So I'm very fortunate that I get to do what I do, but have such a rich family and, uh, and they're, they're great and uh, out of control often. <laughs> That's a great story. What is the best advice you can give? Find your centre. When you're, when, you're, when you're not quite right or you've got a decision to make is find your centre. And the centre is truth, right? So let me give you an example. If you if you've, feel you've been hard, hard done by at work and your boss isn't recognising you and so on, just you will not make any good decision or react to that until you find centre. And centre may well be, I didn't work hard enough, I didn't do this, okay, I can accept what the honest truth is of that, that particular matter. It can be at times that someone hasn't seen you or someone hasn't recognised you. But largely, once you find centre, you'll take responsibility. Once you take responsibility, you'll be able to do something about it. You'll never be able to do anything about someone else's behaviour, but you'll always be able to control yours. So that's really hard to do. Um, I find when we're in crisis or when we've got an issue of, of, of dispute, um, and you have lawyers and you have financiers and you've got a lot of people telling you what, what you can do uh, legally and technically. It, it, I, I try and make sure we stop for a moment to say, what, look, what, I know what we can do. What's the right thing to do? Um, and you find that from, from finding centre. So um, it's, it's, it, it is a nice skill to develop because once you do that, it's a formula that will never let you down. Um, but it, it, you've got to be honest. If you could start all over again, what would you do differently? If I could start all over again, uh, I wouldn't do a thing differently. I mean, I like the mistakes I've made. I've made heaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've learned from them. You don't learn unless you make mistakes, you know, and, um, and you graze your knees and so on and so forth. And, um, and I've, I've 
probably comfortable with mistakes. I've never really blamed anyone else for those mistakes. Um, they've always been squarely at my feet. Um, but I, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I think some of the the wrinkles on your face and the, they're all part of that sort of process and, and it's been great, yeah. What are your three biggest accomplishments so far? Three biggest accomplishments so far um, in life, I've, without a doubt, the family. Um, that's number one. Um, number two, it's um, choosing hospitality as a career and enjoying it. You know, it's, I think it's an accomplishment simply to enjoy it. You know, and that's meant that you've had to be positive, bright, happy, successful, uh, but it's been really enjoyable. Um, and I'm really enjoying giving to others, you know, in some of the boards that I'm on um, and in some of the friendships that I have. I, I really, that's probably, I like to, there's a lot of stuff I do that I don't share, but I find really satisfying and, and helpful. Um, and I will all need help at some point in time. So if you've got a bit of space in your day to help someone, I think that's really important. Have you ever had a really challenging experience when tra- traveling? Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, uh, I remember yeah. I was in, um, living in Thailand. I was living in Phuket and there was a trade show in Cambodia. So I said to my wife, um, why don't you travel with me? And, she, you know, I was traveling throughout Asia and we had the other three children at home and uh, we just had our fourth. And um, little Max was a baby. He was a year older. And, and uh, at the time... I said, why don't you come and travel with me? We'll tack a day on at the, at the time. And so we agreed to do that. And, um, and uh, we got there, we're in Cambodia, and something weird was happening at five o'clock in the afternoon. It was a bit dark and there was noise on the streets. And what I didn't realise was that there was a comment made by the, a Thai princess about the Cambodian uh, royal family, and that ended up creating civil unrest and the whole of Cambodia shut down uh, people were coming through ransacking the hotel our hotel that we were in was being burnt down so we grabbed little Max raced and hid behind an air conditioning um, power plant uh, and then I, I had a mobile phone and then some guys came to us and took our wallets and stuff and we just, we just sort of pushed them away um, I wouldn't suggest bravely for a moment, but we did push them away. And, uh, and then I rang one guy, and there was this guy that I'd mucked around with in Thailand who was always rabbiting on that he knew everyone and knew the Cambodian royal family and so on. So his name was Trevor. So I rang Trevor, I said, Trevor. He said, where are you? I said, Cambodia. He said, we're watching it on TV. So I said, can you get me out? He said, yeah, okay, I'll ring Vibble. Vibble was, uh, I think was a finance minister that had been educated in Melbourne, Melbourne University. So next thing you know, we went back to our room, which was totally ransacked, and um, next there was a knock on the door about five minutes later, and there were these guys with machine guns standing at the door looking like, you know, Mr T, and, and they grabbed us. We didn't know if they were the right people or the wrong people. They grabbed us, took us out and put us in an armoured car and took us to Vibol's house, the Deputy Finance Ministers. And we sat there watching the company, the, the country close down for three days and then um, finally we got back and we had our other three children were in Phuket and so we only had little Max and 
the other three we were worried about, we didn't know when we'd get back. Anyway, finally, we got back through all these sort of different ways of travel. We got a flight out to Singapore, Singapore to Phuket, we got home. So, yeah, that was probably the most eerie experience um, and, uh, and interesting. Frightening. Yeah. Um, well, then, the next question is, what's been your most emotional moment while you've been travelling, whether it be business or, or on a holiday? Yeah, most emotional moment. I think emotion is so much a part of hospitality. I mean, I can't imagine anyone that checks into a hotel that isn't in an increased state of emotion. Uh, you know, whether you're going for a job, whether you're going to a conference, whether you're meeting friends and family. You know, I think it's, it's, it's quite an emotional experience overall. My most emotional experience in, in travel, um, well, certainly the reference to the Cambodian incident was quite emotional a week later, once you got home and so on, you just sort of collapsed. Um, but I, I think um, I, I like watching the faces of the kids when they're on holidays or going through airports and I just think it's great. And, and I love watching Jules get excited about hospitality. You know, she's an amazing partner that is participates in, in, in what she can um, with, in the business and with me in terms of social settings. And, um, and I love watching the company through her eyes and she's amazed, she loves meeting everybody. And she just says to me, oh, I just wish I'd done hospitality when she was, when she was younger, such a great, great industry. So yeah, that's probably the most emotional point. In your worldly travels, you would no doubt have come across some amazing lobbies. Um, what makes an outstanding hotel lobby, and in your opinion, and, um, and what ones are you, do you admire? Yeah, I think lobbies are really important. I mean, I've been long been a supporter of, you know, I think you can put a lot more money into a lobby than necessarily the guest rooms and have a bigger impact in terms of, 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 of how it hits a customer. Um, I think a, a good lobby, uh, first of all, I love a driveway. Yeah, there's nothing nicer than a really nice driveway. And in today's world where, you know, property density is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, sadly they're being removed. But so a great driveway where you arrive a sense of arrival, make you know you feel great. You know, something you go into. Uh, there's some great, beautiful Asian resorts where you arrive and the lights are golden and the driveway's massive and makes you feel good. And then, uh, and then I think uh, from there it's about uh, a really clear lobby, somewhere where you can see reception, you can see the bill desk. You know, it's, it's quite obvious. Um, and then the final element to a great lobby, or well, not the final element, the next element would be a bar beautiful lounge bar that's active and you can see some animation there's nothing worse than going into a big beautiful lobby and it being dead so beautifully sort of curated bar uh, and then amazing uniforms nothing better than a great employee with an amazing uniform on and I think the coming together of those if you get those four five touch points right it's a pretty good lobby at the end of the day when you wind down what do you like to do in your spare time I like to I mean I like to get home because I'm away a lot. So I like to, and I, but I'm never, I've, I've been pretty disciplined in terms of, you know, I always say you can do whatever you like to me during the week, Monday to Friday, you can send me anywhere, but I'm not missing a weekend. I'd never, I don't do it. If I need to go to Paris, I'll go on a Monday, we're back Friday, Saturday. Um, so I'm always, I get home and I always envisage that there'll be a week where I pace myself appropriately, appropriately that I don't come home tired. 
um, every Friday night I'm exhausted. Uh, but by the same token, I'm excited. So it's been a full week. I don't feel like I'd have to do any more work because uh, I genuinely work to complete everything and get everything done. And, uh, but when I come home, I'm, I'm relieved. I like to get home. I like to see the kids. Um, I like to probably have a dinner with Jules. You know, often we'll go out quickly for a Friday night bite on our own and then you wake up Saturday morning and then it's just game on with kids and, and you know, they're sort of teenagers and, and older. We've only got two left at school out of nine. So they're young adults and they're great fun and their friends are over. And so we've sort of, we were around the home a lot, entertaining a lot at home, largely the kids and their friends. And then, um, you know, play tennis, do a bit of sport. Um, and, um, and then the peak of the weekend is the Sunday night um, roast which I start thinking about on Friday night. So, yeah, that's, and that's it. That's, that's, it's a pretty simple weekend. We don't, we try not to, we don't get distracted. I never do work things on a weekend. I'll often take home a pile of work, but never do it. And, um, but, uh, yeah, just around the family. And it's very social, so it's an enjoyable place to be. Sounds beautiful. Where is, um, where's your favourite destination in the world for a holiday and why? And where are you off to next? Next... Um, I'm going, we're going, the whole family, plus a couple of boyfriends and girlfriends, are going to um, Bali. We're going to Sofitel, Nusadua. Um, it's a go-to place for Jules and I over the last few years because we've had kids going to schoolies up there, so we go up and just make sure we're around. And we, I have to say, I don't think we do much care for the children, but we have a good four or five days with the team up there, and it's just it's quick to get to. It's a beautiful spot. It's, it's a great hotel with an extraordinary presence and so we enjoy that so we're all going up there as a family we've got a birthday for Jules that we're celebrating that we're looking forward to and and we're all going to be there so that's the next trip which I'm busy planning and getting right at the moment and the team up there helping um and then you know in terms of great places to go um I like a lot of short breaks to be honest I find a short break I find a long two-week break puts heaps of pressure and sort of it shouldn't be the way but it puts me out too much in terms of work and life and so on so at the moment we're going through this phase of Jules and I just grabbing you know three or four day breaks and that that can be anywhere that can be anywhere it can be to our hotels unbranded hotels I mean I love checking into hotels I could check into 10 hotels a day big ones old ones little ones um, broken ones I love them so um, uh, so just you know three or four days away anywhere um, is, is pretty interesting I like going to we like going to Hawaii. Um, it's always interesting. Southeast Asia, I love um, Europe, um, but none of which we do enough of. Simon, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Thank you for being on. I'll meet you in the lobby. Thank you. You've been listening to I'll Meet You in the Lobby, hosted by Jacinta Phelan. This podcast is produced, edited and recorded by Simon Blair from 5 Degrees. Contact Simon on 0407 002 113.